Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Chris Burns uh, in the European Parliament uh, with this EPP Group online event focusing on Russia, the troop, uh, the Russia and Ukraine, the troop buildup of Russia, Russian forces on the Ukrainian border, more than 100,000 troops on three sides of Ukraine. What does this mean? Could this lead to an invasion? Uh, the meetings this week between the U.S. and Russia, among NATO ministers, among EU ministers, and today among the OSCE officials. Where do we go from here? Where does the European Parliament stand on this? And joining us are two members of the EPP group, Andrus Kubilius of Lithuania, your ex-Prime Minister. Uh, you are chair of the delegation to the Euronest Parliamentary Assembly that includes Ukraine and other EU uh, Eastern Partnership members. And you're on the delegation to the EU-Russia Parliamentary Cooperation Committee. Uh, also joining us is uh, Michael Gala of Germany, uh, who is uh, on the Committee on Foreign Affairs and on the Subcommittee uh, on uh, Security and Defense. So where do we go from here? What is the upshot of these uh, latest talks? Um, let me go to Andrus uh, first, Andrus Kobelius. Uh, very, very key meetings this week. Uh, did, did it give you any hope at all uh, that uh, we could uh, prevent or, or avoid a conflict, a deeper conflict. This has been a, a slow burn conflict for quite some time. Well, hi, hi, Chris, and uh, on all, all, all others, you know. Uh, thanks a lot for organizing this uh, conversation. Really, to make any conclusions, perhaps it's um, a little bit too early. Uh, I would say what is uh, very much needed for us to understand the reasons why Kremlin suddenly became so desperate and nervous. I do not see any other reason because nothing was changing. Uh, Ukraine did not become, you know, member of NATO. Uh, NATO did not make any kind of decisions on, on, on enlargement. But Kremlin right. became very nervous. And my conclusion is that uh, simply because in Kremlin they started to understand that their geopolitical power is weakening. And that is why this desperation, what we see around. Uh, Kremlin went into some kind of what I would call, you know, geopolitical trolling, uh, threatening that they will uh, start some aggressive, you know, uh, attacks against Ukraine, against the West, if, if, if there will be no agreement with, with their demands. Uh, what they achieved, they, they got, you know... Um, uh, uh, possibility to talk, you know, with uh, U.S. administration, with NATO. Uh, I don't know if that is enough for them. Uh, what will uh, what they will try to do next? It's very difficult to predict. We need to be ready uh, for any possibility because in such desperation, you know, usually uh, authoritarian leaders are becoming really quite dangerous. It's impossible to predict. But okay. what is important is that the West gave clear answer, you know, uh, not, 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 you know, succumbing to demands of Kremlin. Okay. Uh, both sides are saying, at least the, the U.S. and the Russians are saying, the ball is in the other's court. Uh, so it does seem to be a standoff. Where does the, where does the EU enter into this? Uh, the uh, the EU was not in the, that discussion between the, uh, the U.S. and Russia. Um, where does the EU fit into this? Go ahead, Mika. Well, uh, the EU fits uh, perfectly into this, especially as uh, all possible political statements 
that we have seen thus far are very much in line uh, with what has been said within NATO, what the U.S. have said. So we uh, uh, can fortunately see a very united stance uh, uh, with regard to the Russian uh, positioning. And uh, that is important. Uh, and it has been confirmed just yesterday when in this press briefing from Mrs. Sherman, where she said there were 30 NATO countries and Russia and the NATO countries were speaking like one. And most of them uh, are also EU countries. And uh, also from the US, it was confirmed. And I think that is important because Mr. Borrell and other European leaders had said that there cannot be decisions uh, that concern Europe without the EU. And that has been confirmed also from the US. No decisions on uh, European issues without the EU. No uh, decisions about Ukraine without Ukraine. And no decisions uh, within NATO with, uh, that concern NATO within, uh, without NATO. So uh, this suspicion or this uh, um, uh, um, anger or this, uh, yeah, uh, possibility that the U.S. would act with Russia alone. We are not in this situation. It's not the Cold War situation. It's also not about post-Yalta, as Mr. Uh, Putin would like to see it. Right. I think we see, not surprisingly, we see there is a great unity between all concerned states with regard to all their institutions where they are sitting. Do you think, uh, Mikhail, the... Um... The Normandy format of France, Germany, Ukraine, uh, Russia, should that be pursued further? That was a meeting back in 2014. Do you think that might be a way for the EU to, to show more presence in, on the issue? Well, uh, uh, frankly speaking, I have to, we have to see that uh, this format didn't uh, bring about any, uh, any, uh, any results uh, with regard to the implementation. But that is not the fault of the current format, uh, but because of uh, the fact that Russia, if we are facing the reality, doesn't have an interest to solve the issue, but to keep it mm. burning uh, in order to, to, to further weaken Ukraine. So, uh, um, well, as a European parliamentarian, I frankly also would like to see uh, the European Union represented in such a format, although uh, it takes two to tango. And mm. uh, if, uh, if Russia does not really want to, to, uh, to lead to a, a reasonable solution, then it doesn't matter who sits on the other side. Uh, Andrews, uh, let, let me ask you, um, on, from a, a, a geopolitical strategic level, do you think uh, President Putin of Russia is trying to undermine uh, uh, President Biden and, and to carve out spheres of influence, to, uh, to divide Europe, to divide and conquer Europe? Well, uh, you can see some kind of those attempts, but as I said, you know, I, since I grew up in Soviet Union, you know, Lithuania, I know that character yes. of uh, some kind of this, you know, Soviet trolling, you know, when, uh, you know, uh, young gangsters are, are trying to, you know, to threaten, uh, you know, and to and to show that they will, uh, are, you know, very, very keen to go for fight. But, uh, but uh, the answer what can calm them is really always not to, not to show your weakness, but exactly to show your strength. And that is mm. what is needed from the West. Uh, and I think that uh, in Kremlin, they got that answer. P 
pro- proper answer, you know, from all, all their meetings till now. And uh, we shall see how they will react. Uh, I'm reading, you know, Kremlin media, they are not very happy, uh, yeah. you know, but uh, we shall see. Of course, I see again, you know, this desperation comes from Putin understanding that, you know, what had happened in Belarus back in 2020, what started to happen in Kazakhstan, you know, recently. Mm-hmm. It very clearly shows two things. First of all, that authoritarian regimes are losing their, you know, uh, uh, popularity or, or, you know, or, le- or legitimacy, whatever, you know, in, in their countries. People are, are you know, are, are really going out into the streets to protest. And second, Kremlin is also losing its, you know, geopolitical power in those regions. And that is why Kremlin decided that it's time for them, you know, to, to go for this, you know, trolling for this, you know, threatening and so on, trying to show that they are still quite strong. But in, 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 in reality, it comes from, from their understanding of their weakness. I might, I might mention, uh, Andrus, that you are uh, a former leader of, the, of a pro-independence movement during Soviet rule. So you know, you're, you're quite familiar with, uh, with, with certain tactics. But uh, let me uh, bounce this off of you. What about, uh, you know, during the, uh, after the EU, uh, after, sorry, after the U.S.-Russian uh, meeting, the Russian deputy foreign minister said they had, quote, unquote, no plans to attack. Do you believe that? Well, uh, you know, uh, you cannot believe Kremlin in, in whatever, but what they are saying, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's, you know, the question, of course, is uh, what is the reason for their military buildup, you know, on, on Ukrainian borders? Of course, for Kremlin, Ukraine, pro-Western Ukraine, you know, going uh, slowly, but, you know, moving towards integration to, you know, uh, Western community, towards EU at least, you know. Uh, Ukraine, which is building their defense because, you know, Kremlin started the war against against Ukraine back mm-hmm. in 2014. Such Ukraine is really very painful for Kremlin because Putin understands that he created this, you know, pro-Western Ukraine. And uh, example of Ukraine, you know, is really um, very dangerous for Kremlin uh, political architecture because, uh, you know, if Belarusians, if Kazakhs, if, you know, Russian people will start to uh, to get an inspiration from Ukrainian success. That is what will kill, you know, Kremlin authoritarian uh, political architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me uh, go focus on NATO at the moment. Uh, this is supposed to be one of at least uh, one of the casus belli of uh, Russia saying that, well, you know, Ukraine should not be eligible for membership uh, to NATO. Um, what, what's your feeling about uh, that, Mikhail? Uh, you know, reminding that in 1997 there was a NATO-Russian founding act uh, where NATO said it had no plans to station uh, nukes uh, or permanent military forces. Um, yeah. So, what, what is your feeling about uh, this? The option, the possibility of of, of Ukrainian membership in NATO. Well, first of all, we are abiding by our commitment from 1997. All the mm. troops that we are stationing also in the Baltic states or in Poland, uh, they are on a regular basis uh, rotating there. So it's nothing nothing mm. permanent. And uh, according to my knowledge, there are also no nukes uh, stationed uh, in this area. But uh, with, the, uh, with regard to the prospects, there had been a decision uh, in 2008 not to take them in then, but in principle, to give them a perspective. 
and uh, we remain with the although that is not currently on the agenda we remain uh, firmly of the opinion that it is first of all a decision of an organization to uh, decide upon their membership and of course of the possible po or potential applicants to 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 ask mm. for a membership and there is no third state uh, in between and uh, but as earlier said already there was no current move from our side to get that operational uh, this issue and the fact that the russians are raising it now it really shows in my mind also that there is quite a degree of desperation they are faced uh -huh. with so many domestic problems uh, uh, that mm. he has to distract attention and create tension uh, uh, towards the outside in order uh, to distract his fellow Russians from the real problems inside the country. Well, what about what about the EU Eastern Partnership with Ukraine, which Russia seized on back then? It's a it's an aid and trade uh, relationship as a as one reason for backing um, uh, rebels, pro-Russian rebels in, in eastern Ukraine. Um, you know, that the possibility of NATO membership, is that not seen, a, is that not a provocation to the Russians? Well, uh, it's not only Putin, but already Brezhnev and all other leaders in the Soviet Union, they knew that an, an armored uh, con, uh, consumer organization like NATO, meaning that there is a, 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 a military alliance of uh, saturated or rich uh, democracies, they would never attack somebody else. But we are mm -hmm. clearly, and it was once again reiterated yesterday uh, by Mr. Sherman, mm -hmm. we are a defensive alliance. We have never attacked anybody else uh, who was, uh, uh, who was uh, 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 not following our line or so. Uh, and, and as such, uh, uh, this uh, uh, perception is one that serves the purpose to 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 keep up the military efforts and uh, to serve as an mm -hmm. as an uh, as a negative as a negative uh, opposite uh, without any real basis. Is there any security and defense aspect that the EU could pursue here, or uh, are we unable to? I'm speaking as a European citizen. Today, no, I, I, there is a meeting in, in, no, no. in Brest between foreign and defense ministers on a strategic compass looking ahead and talking about a 5,000-member rapid deployment force. Is, is that any sort of part, uh, is Ukraine any part of that? Could that be part of the calculation? No, uh, not, not, Mika, no yeah. not according to my knowledge. Yeah. yeah, no, no, that's definitely not the case. It is something where we would really be in a position uh, to react if... We are not backed up, uh, by, for instance, the NATO framework. I mean, it is mm. under the impression of uh, this rapid withdrawal from Afghanistan, where we Europeans alone, without the Americans, wouldn't have managed to do that. Now we have troops elsewhere. We are in Mali, as one example. Right. And uh, if the but there the U.S. is not. So in case we would have to leave there, we should have be in a position to 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 get us out as one point. But or if we would have to to intervene in a limited sense to get our citizens, for instance, from Beirut, if if in Lebanon, uh, God mm. forbid, something would really melt down totally, and mm -hmm. we have. Uh, tens of thousands of EU citizens there, would we be able to, to keep the port of Beirut to get our citizens out? I think these are legitimate questions, and we need answers for that. That is to be discussed, uh, I think, also in this framework. And 
uh, with regard to Russia, certainly uh, arms control, uh, transparency issues in this field. I think there is a need that we have a specific interest, for instance, to, to reduce or to keep the intermediate nuclear missiles at a mm -hmm. zero, zero level, which is not the case currently because Russia has installed new ones. In fact, isn't that one bright spot, potential bright spot in these latest contacts with the Russians that I think there is a willingness to talk about arms control. Andrus, do you want to go further on that? Well, of course, that that would be good uh, to bring you know Kremlin back to some some more reasonable you know approach. Uh, but all other aspects, what they are talking about, you know, it's it's total nonsense. I would say, you know, uh, uh, Kremlin criticism uh, to Ukraine that Ukraine is. Uh, uh, now trying to uh, strengthen its defense capabilities is again, you know, even logically total nonsense because uh, all we all, all of us we understand that you know um, uh, Kremlin started the war back in in 2014 against Ukraine and now Kremlin is becoming very nervous when Ukraine is trying to become strong in its defense. So you know that's <laughs> that's quite quite mm. quite strange approach, you know. Uh, one thing. Second, mm -hmm. really, uh, I think that you know, uh, looking looking in 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 uh, in in general, you know, uh, we need to uh, build up also our strategic communication because Kremlin is very good in 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 declaring that NATO and Ukraine, you know, uh, we are creating some kind of danger to Russia and so on and so mm -hmm. on. One, if you look into the numbers. Both uh, nuclear numbers and also, you know, ordinary military, you know, forces which are uh, deployed, uh, you know, uh, close to European borders, to Ukrainian borders. Of course, the numbers are much bigger on Russian side. So that is what mm -hmm. we need also to talk in a very clear language. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, now, as as a as chairman of the delegation to Euronest Parliamentary Assembly with the Eastern Partners, and uh, and the delegation and a member of the delegation to the EU Russian Parliamentary Cooperation Committee, what are you hearing, uh, both from our Eastern Partners and uh, from Russian parliamentarians? What are you hearing on that uh, about this about this standoff? Well, of course, our partners in Eastern Partnership countries, they are especially Ukrainian ones. They are, they are worried about those developments. And, uh, and uh, of course, uh, you know, they, are, uh, uh, they are not very much surprised by Kremlin aggressive behavior. They are in the war, you know, which Kremlin waged uh, since 2014. Uh, and what they are, what you can hear from them, it's a very clear language. Ukraine will defend itself, you know, and uh, of course they would uh, be very happy to see that the Western community is assisting them as as much as we can, you know, if if not with NATO membership, which they are asking them, maybe mm -hmm. with uh, with you know giving them access to to needed uh, weaponry. That is very clear. Uh, second, of course, we do not have any contacts with Russian parliamentarians. Uh, mm. uh, that's not the case, but uh, either in delegation or, uh, you know, as a standing rapporteur on Russia, I, I you know, since uh, uh, 2019, 
I organized some kind of informal forum of the Friends of European Russia, mm-hmm. where we are talking a lot with, you know, uh, uh, liberal people from Russia, from Navalny team, from intelligentsia, and they are also very, very critical on Kremlin, you know, behavior. And even, you know, uh, when Kremlin is saying that NATO is, is a big danger for Russia, some of those, you know, so-called Congress of uh, Intelligentsia in Russia, they declared that exactly opposite, that uh, mm-hmm. Russia would, would, would be happy to join NATO, you know, at, at some future. So, <laughs> so we can mm-hmm. see that, you know, yeah. Kremlin is not, is not the whole Russia. In Russia, there are different opinions. And I believe that, you know, yeah. the best uh, solution for European security will be development of democracy in Russia itself. What about sanctions? Uh, we, we already have turned up the pressure with sanctions as uh, Europe and, and, uh, and, and the U.S. on Russia over the annexation of Crimea, uh, the, the, the Ukrainian uh, uh, piece of land there. And what further should we do uh, to turn up the pressure if, heaven forbid, there is a Russian invasion of, uh, of Ukraine, uh, further Russian invasion of Ukraine? What further should we do? Uh, let, let me go to uh, Mikhail here, knowing, pointing out that there yes, are thousands uh, of German companies that, that are, are doing business with Russia. Well, not only German companies, uh, but yeah. companies from all over Europe. But uh, indeed, uh, well, any company that engages in a certain country has buys the political risk, the higher or the lower risk, wherever they mm-hmm. go. So I, I, I can't, uh, so to say, for the sake of appeasing uh, Russia, and maintaining uh, certain uh, economic links, uh, I, I cannot, uh, so to say, allow him to, to, to act in the way he does. So anybody who goes to Russia and invests there um, uh, knows the risk that is entailed uh, in this regard. But uh, on, on uh, sanctions, uh, I mean, we all know the wording that uh, our executive side, be it in the EU or national framework or NATO framework is, uh, about the... Uh, the considerable uh, um, uh, and unprecedented amount of sanctions without precising, being precise about that. We in the European U- uh, Parliament are always a step ahead and we have uh, named it clearly. We have said in, if there is a real attack on, on, on Ukraine, uh, the swift uh, payment mechanism must be switched off and that will have a colossal and immediate effect throughout Russia. Uh, moreover, okay. I think uh, it must be very clear that all those tens of thousands of profiters uh, of the regime who have, for whatever reason, permanent visas inside the EU uh, so that they can travel easily and so on, they must all be cancelled so that uh, the profiters, the oligarchs and others who have their money and their livelihoods uh, in the West, that they will really feel it that um, we uh, uh, that we mean it okay, and what um, about and what about the Nord Stream course, pipeline what about the Mikhail the Nord Stream pipeline well, I that think is, that has just been yeah, completed I mean, and, that, and that Germany yeah. could be depending on if it does start flowing well uh, first of all it doesn't meet the European legal framework for the moment it is not unbundled mm. so even legally currently yeah. without the current uh, 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 things it ca- couldn't get operational but I do not see I, if there were such an attack I, I simply cannot see that it would get operational and that the Germans would de facto 
co-finance Putin's mm. war uh, so so yeah. immediately by by uh, purchasing oil from there, gas from there. I cannot okay. see that. Uh, okay, I've got I've got questions coming in. Uh, I'd like to invite uh, Maria Tadeo, uh, correspondent for Europe of Bloomberg Television. I used to work at Bloomberg. Maria, are you there? <laughs> Hi, Chris. Thank you so much. Uh, well, hi. Good to hear discussion. you. It's very good to see you. Uh, I, I actually had a question for both of you. Uh, this week, uh, we've had NATO meetings. We had the U.S. Uh, in meetings with Russia and Geneva. But the criticism is that Europe has been somehow missing in action. Does that mean that perhaps on the security front, uh, A, the Russians don't take Europe seriously? And then two, how do you go about it? Is it about spending more, doing more on that front? Who wants to take that first? Yeah. Uh, well, the EU is not... First? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Mikhail, go ahead. Well, go ahead, uh, uh, I mean, the EU is not the defense... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the EU is not primarily the, the defense uh, body that uh, uh, guarantees our collective security. That is when it's really about the real issue with Russia, then it is that is NATO. But the EU has, uh, in, in practical terms, the... the the possibility in the economic and in, in, in trade issues uh, to, to, to stop and to sanction very firmly. And uh, that is where we are. So in a way, it's a job sharing. It's a complementary task as a West, as the transatlantic community and the EU together. And then we include Britain that left us recently as, uh, as a Western uh, community. We have combined, I think, the instruments to, to hold Russia to account and react uh, properly uh, to, to stop them uh, with any uh, foreseeable aggression. Andrews? Yeah, very, very briefly, just you know, I agree absolutely with Mikhail, but I would add really that EU, first of all, is strong with, with, with its soft power, not hard power. Hard power is more for, for you know, NATO. But in soft power, really, we can uh, do much more in bringing also, you know, uh, expanding uh, area of stability and security. I mean, integration towards EU, you know, with intermediate steps or whatever, you know, for Ukraine can be a good answer, you know, to all those threats uh, coming from Kremlin. Kremlin is showing that, you know, they have some kind of... Uh, very wrong strategy towards Ukraine. They don't want, you know, Ukraine to become a success, successful country. EU, EU can show in a very clear way, you know, that we have also a uh, strategy how to assist Ukraine to become a successful country. And from our point of view, that would be beneficial for Russia. Unfortunate, of course, that Kremlin is very much afraid of Ukraine's success because that can, you know, damage uh, or, or that can inspire Russian people to follow Ukrainian example. So that is, that is a major difference. But uh, from my point of view, uh, EU, which is really, uh, which has uh, very strong uh, soft power capacity, should be more brave in using that soft power capacity towards our Eastern partnership countries and especially towards Ukraine. Uh, can, I, can I go to uh, Gens uh, Polo, a former minister and member of parliament, uh, of Albania. Gens, are you with us? Yes, yes, I'm with you. Thank you for, uh, for uh, giving me the floor. I mean, from this uh, corner of the uh, European continent, we see with very much concern the, the buildup uh, that is uh, happening on the eastern borders of Ukraine by Putin's Russia. But also um, we are concerned of the 
malign, that's the word is used, the, the disruptive sometimes action taken by uh, agents of this power or of other non-friendly powers to Europe in Southeastern Europe. And I think, uh, I mean, I hope that with the meetings that took place in the recent days, uh, the bilateral with the United States and the NATO one, we'll see the OSCE meeting with the Russian government, the imminent threat of invasion might be, uh, might recede. Um, a comprehensive strategy of um, uh, limiting the influence of these third powers should be, should be further um, enforced and, and perhaps at, at certain aspects also rethought. Because uh, penetrating through different ways, including economic investment, might, as we very well know, might be a, 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 a middle-term danger for the security of the continent. The security mean, meant in many ways. So I think it's, it's incumbent upon the European, and we are discussing very much the institutional role of the EU, and there is criticism that they are not in the main table and so on, and that, that will continue for some time, I guess. But the European Union as such, in the institutional way, through the Commission, first of all, but also through a major complementary role of the, of the European Parliament, may engage better in, in the Western Balkans, in Southeastern Europe, also in other parts of the Balkans that are already part of the EU, but I'm specifically talking about the, the six uh, uh, nations of the so-called Western Balkans, in order to help with um, strengthen the rule of law first and uh, also helping in deterring unwanted influence, because that's a power challenge on the global scales that will continue in every aspect of it and every territorial corner, if I can say so, should not be neglected. Thank you. Uh, and Andrus, would you like to comment on that? I mean, noting yeah. that, that Albania is, uh, is, is envisioned as, a, as a, eventually a member of the EU and a member of NATO, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with, with a question, you know, which, which gives also a very easy answer, you know. Uh, yeah, we are, we are following very, very, very carefully, you know, uh, success of Western Balkans in their integration. When we are talking about uh, inter partnership, we are we are trying you know to see what are what are the successes of integration of Western Balkans and what are the problems. And of course, not everything is is is, is moving uh, uh, you know as as smoothly as we would like to see. Maybe because of also of the, of of you know of uh, interferences from outside by third countries, but. Uh, the answer which which I have always, you know, should be more of integration, you know, uh, more of, you know, uh, possibility for uh, the countries to reform themselves, you know, in order to, to, to uh, you know, to fulfill all the criteria. And that is where, you know, both, uh, you know, countries of Western Balkans or Eastern Partnership Trio, you know, should uh, should be more you know uh, motivated and more more showing their political will to reform themselves but also from EU side you should be much more clear uh, clear you know vision and clear ambition how mm. you know uh, how to how to move with the integration how to move with with enlargement maybe in in, in different stages but you know, first of all, maybe into integration into single market, but to move forward because uh, this is where really EU can have a major, you know, uh, influence yeah, on, on its on its on its neighborhood, 
And that right. is I'm always uh, always repeating the same, you know, what perhaps Commissioner Rahn was was saying when he was enlargement uh, commissioner that either EU is exporting, you know, stability through integration, or if not, then EU needs to be ready to import instability from the neighborhood regions. Okay, uh, let me um, unless Mikhail, you have a, a word to add. I have a, one more guest, and I'm I'm going into overtime, but I mean these are really good comments and questions here. Um, yeah. Okay, let's go to let's go to Georgi Kandelaki, uh, politician and historian uh, from Georgia, uh, noting that Georgia, uh, uh, like Ukraine, has uh, has been uh, partially invaded by Russia. So, uh, Georgi, you're, you're you're quite well aware of the of the dangers involved. Thank you very much uh, for this opportunity. Uh, obviously, Russia's demands concern not only Ukraine but also Georgia and Georgia's possible membership in, in, in NATO. But interestingly, Georgia's own voice has been largely absent from this debate in recent weeks and months. And what do you think, uh, dear panelists, does that speak about Georgia's uh, own trajectory, uh, so to speak, foreign and security policy trajectory? And Georgia has also notably essentially turned down calls to integrate uh, things like the EU-brokered ceasefire agreement of the of 2008 into EU agenda or EU sanctions packages. Thank you. Yes, let's let, let's let's go to Mikhail. Noting that uh, that uh, like Ukraine, there yes. is an Eastern Partnership Agreement, right? Go ahead. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, Ukraine, Georgia, and Moldova are the three ones, the the associated ones. So we have, in principle, booked uh, to put it uh, the full board. So what we currently offer. Uh, with their from their side, uh, of course, uh, also claiming to to head for 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 full membership in in, in both organizations. And yes, uh, Georgi is is right. I have heard little uh, about uh, from Georgia uh, recently about the uh, the current Russian uh, um, uh, stand up uh, in front of the uh, Ukrainian uh, border. And we have also, over the last months, uh, seen some, uh, to put it mildly, some hiccups in our relationship uh, because uh, we had uh, uh, three visits of Charles Michel uh, to, to, to broker a deal uh, for the domestic uh, uh, stalemate inside Georgia. Unfortunately, um, uh, there is uh, uh, little... A movement uh, for the better, as I see for the moment, as, as we speak, uh, for a, a domestic, uh, shall I say, reconciliation or productive and constructive joint way forward. And that is a prerequisite, I would say, on the way towards uh, uh, integration in our into our institutions. Uh, and that is what we can only appeal to uh, of course, primarily to the government and to the ruling party, but also to the opposition, to find common ground in this uh, facing this threat from Russia. Currently, their troops are at the Ukrainian border. It will be very quickly. I mean, they are standing uh, inside two Georgian territories as we speak, but they could also uh, uh, beef up, uh, to put it this way, uh, their presence uh, even further. So um, there is ample opportunity, but also need inside Georgia also to join forces uh, to to stabilize the the country domestically and and uh, further advancing uh, on the European path. 
Okay, anything uh, to add, Andrews? I might just mention one thing. I, I've, I've been reading about how Russia is seeking a land link uh, between Crimea and Russia after Ukraine cut off the water supplies uh, as a result of what happened with the annexation. Um, could that be one maybe point that, that could be resolved anyway? Uh, could you wrap up, Andrews? Yeah, I will. I will wrap up. You know, well, uh, whatever. You no, know, Kremlin can uh, can uh, give any kind of you know uh, uh, explanation why they are attacking. Uh, you know, but in general, uh, for them, I see that Ukraine as such is really a very big you know uh, challenge uh, because progress and democratic Ukraine has its own very strong soft power, you know, which uh, can influence also developments in, in Russia. But what I would, uh, in continuation to what Mikhail have said and what uh, George asked, you know, uh, definitely we need to see some kind of, you know, what Kremlin is able uh, also to achieve and what kind of lessons not only, you know, we in EU can take from recent Georgian, you know, developments, but also Kremlin can make, you know, some kind of conclusions. If, you know, a country like Georgia is moving into some kind of, you know, uh, internal political uh, conflict, whatever, you know, when government and opposition are fighting each other, uh, and uh, despite all the efforts of uh, Charles Michel, you know, the peace, internal peace and reconciliation is is not happening, then it's very clear what happens with uh, geopolitical ambitions of the country. Like Georgia has mentioned, really, we do not hear anything from Georgian government now, either about NATO or much, much less about EU integration, because, you know, the government is very busy with, you know, fights against, against uh, opposition, with politicization of justice and so on and so on. Why I'm speaking that? Because I see the same danger ca- possibly coming to Ukraine. When I see, you know, all those political fights in between of President Zelensky and former President Poroshenko and also, you know, possibility of politicization of justice, I see that at the end, you know, the winner in that, in that you know, internal fights can be only Kremlin. So that's what lessons we need to learn also very quickly. Just to sort of tease next week, uh, the European Parliament uh, plenary, will this be an issue on the agenda? It will be an issue on AFET agenda, as I understand Ukraine, you know. Ukraine will be on AFET. Uh, anything else, I don't know if, if, if decisions on agenda are, are finalized. Okay, so in other words, stay tuned, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us in this discussion with Andrus Kubilius of Lithuania, Mikhail Gala uh, of uh, Germany. Uh, and uh, please feel free to tweet on this, at uh, EPP Group. Uh, check out eppgroup.eu for further details, further information. My name is Chris Burns. Thanks for listening.